All right, Matthew chapter 7, starting in verse 21. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, on the day of judgment, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy by thy name, and by thy name cast out demons, and by thy, by thy name do many mighty works? And then I will profess to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. The truth may be hard to hear sometimes, but telling the truth is never unloving. If you go to the doctor and you have a serious issue with your health, it is not unloving for him to tell you what that issue is and what needs to be done. It may be hard for you to hear the truth, but it is not unloving for that doctor to tell you the truth. In fact, he's in a way loving you by telling you the truth of your condition. And so sometimes the truth may be hard to hear. And there are a lot of people in our society and in our culture who don't want to hear the truth. And if you tell them the truth, just the truth, they say, well, you're being unloving. No, we're not being unloving. We're just telling the truth. And for them, the truth is hard to hear. But the point is this, just because you say you are something does not mean that you really are what you say. I mean, I could say I'm, I'm an NBA basketball star. Well, just because I say that doesn't mean that it's real. Have you seen me play basketball? Well, in this passage, our Lord makes it very clear. Just because a person says that they are a Christian does not make it true. The Bible says that one day every single person will stand before God, their creator, and every person will give an account to him for how they lived the life that their creator gave them. Now, we live in a society that doesn't want to be judged. Don't judge me. It's not right for you to try to judge me. Who are you to judge? Well, I'm not the judge that you need to worry about. One day, the Bible says, every single human being will stand before the God who is their creator, the God of the Bible, and give an account to him for how they live the life that he gave them. In this passage, first of all, I want us to see the judge of judgment. Who are we going to stand before in this judgment? Well, Jesus said in Matthew 7, 22, many will say to me on that day, who's the judge? of Judgment Day, it's the Lord Jesus Christ. Many will say to me, Jesus said in that day. John 5, 22, for the Father judges no one, but has committed all judgment to the Son. 
Acts 10.42, Peter said, And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that it is he, Jesus, who was ordained by God to be the judge of the living and the dead. Amen. Acts 17.31, 2 Timothy 4.1, 1 Peter 4, 5, all make the statement that Jesus is the judge before whom all will stand one day. Many years ago, the Imperials Quartet put out a song by the name of O Buddha. You might remember that song, maybe you don't. It's a little dated for today. Because in the lines of the lyric, a reference is made to Reverend Moon. Now you may not know who Reverend Moon was, but Reverend Moon was a guy in Korea who said that he was the son of God. And he built a big church. You know, he made a lot of statements about the fact that he was God's favorite son. But listen to the lyrics of this song, O Buddha, by the Imperials. Kind of reminds us in a very special way that Jesus is the one before whom all will stand one day to give an account of their life. Amen. The lyrics go like this. Well, O Buddha was a man, and I'm sure that he meant well, but I pray for his disciples, lest they, they wind up in hell. And I'm sure that O Muhammad thought he knew the way but it won't be old Muhammad we stand before on Judgment Day. No, it won't be old Buddha that's sitting on the throne. And it won't be old Muhammad that's calling us home. And it won't be Herr Krishna that plays the trumpet tune. And we're going to see the sun, not Reverend Moon. <laughs> well, I don't hate anybody, so please don't take me wrong. But there really is a message in this simple song. You see, there's only one way, Jesus. If eternal life is your goal, meditation on the mind won't save your soul. No, it won't be old Buddha that's sitting on the throne. And it won't be old Muhammad that's calling us home. And it won't be Herr Krishna that plays that trumpet tune. We're gonna see the sun, not Reverend Moon. Well, you can call yourself a Baptist and not be born again a Presbyterian or a Methodist and still die in your sin. You can even be charismatic and shout and dance and jump a pew. But if you hate your brother, you won't be one of the chosen few because it won't be a Baptist who's sitting on the throne, a Presbyterian or a Methodist that's calling us home, and it won't be a charismatic that plays that trumpet tune. So let's all live for Jesus because he's coming back real soon. <laughs> Jesus is the judge of Judgment Day. Now the Bible talks about three different judgments that involve human beings. Human beings don't like to think of a Judgment Day. One of the reasons why, you know, people deny God and reject God and don't want to believe that God is real is the fact that they are accountable to God. People want to be able to do what they want to do without any accountability. I want to live my life the way I want to live my life. You don't have anything to say about it. I want to live my life and not be accountable to anyone for how I live my life. 
But the Bible makes it very clear there are three different judgments that will involve human beings. The first judgment is this. Every person is immediately judged by God upon their death. Hebrews 9, 27. It is appointed for men to die once, but after this, the judgment. There's a sense of immediacy in that passage. You die and you face the judgment. Here's what the Bible teaches. The moment a person dies and enters into eternity, they will be judged according to what they did with the Lord Jesus Christ. That's immediate. The souls of those people who have accepted Jesus as their Lord and Savior will immediately enter into heaven. But the souls of those who have rejected Christ or the souls of those who have rejected God's witness in their hearts and in creation, that if they had followed that witness would have led them to Christ, will immediately go to hell. That's hard to hear, isn't it? But it's not unloving to preach the truth. In the story of the rich man and Lazarus, when Lazarus died, he immediately went to paradise. And when the rich man died, he immediately went to hell. Now their bodies remained on the earth, but their souls, separated from their body in death, went into eternity. Jesus told the thief that he saved while he was dying on the cross, today you shall be with me in paradise. And the original language, the construction of that saying is this, in paradise today, with emphasis on today, in paradise today, you shall be with me, Jesus said. Which, which means before the sun set on that day, Jesus and that thief walked arm in arm into glory. And so the first judgment that involves every human being is the judgment that happens immediately upon death. We close our eyes here. We open our eyes to the presence of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. But then at the end of the age, at the end of the age, when the effect and the influence of every person's life can be evaluated, have you ever taken a stone and thrown it into water and then you see the ripples of the, the impact of the stone upon the water, the ripples go out. You and I will die, but the ripples, the effect of our life will continue on. The full effect, the full influence of our life cannot be evaluated until the end of the age because the life I live now will have an effect even in generations to come, be it good or be it bad. So at the end of the age, when the effect and the influence of every person's life can be evaluated, there's going to be two other times of judgments. One of those judgments, judgments involve the life of believers or involves believers. The other involves unbelievers. The Bible says that one day every believer will stand before Jesus in what is called the judgment seat of Christ. At the judgment seat of Christ, every Christian, this involves only Christians, 
At the judgment seat of Christ, every Christian will be judged for how we lived our life for the Lord after we were saved. And we will be judged for the effect of our life, the life we lived for the Lord, for the effect that our life had on others, even beyond our life, even through the next generations. The issue of the judgment seat of Christ will not be our salvation. The issue of your salvation was settled finally, fully, and forever when you gave your life to Jesus Christ. That issue was settled then and there. The issue of the judgment seat of Christ will be the heavenly rewards. The rewards that God will give us in heaven. The rewards that we will either receive or lose based on how we live for Jesus after we were saved. It makes a difference for how you live your life in this world Amen. as a Christian. That's the, the judgment seat of Christ where every believer will stand before the Lord and the life that we live for the Lord after we were saved is going to be judged. And you're going to receive rewards or lose rewards based on how you live for Jesus after you were saved. The Bible talks about degrees of joys in heaven and degrees of punishment in hell. The other judgment the Bible talks about at the end of the age is the great white throne judgment. At this judgment, every believer who has ever lived, uh, I'm sorry, every unbeliever who has ever lived, every unbeliever who has ever lived will stand before Jesus in this judgment. At the great white throne judgment, salvation or a second chance at salvation will not be the issue. The moment a person dies without Jesus Christ, they are lost forever. There is no second chance. There is no second opportunity. At the great white throne judgment, every unbeliever will be judged for how they lived their life. For how much of God's light and witness they received and rejected. For how much evil they did in their life. For how rebellious they were. And for how their evil, their God-rejecting life, affected others, not only during their lifetime, but in the generations beyond that. All of this will determine the degree of eternal punishment they will experience in hell. So the Bible says, yes, we're gonna face the Lord Jesus Christ. The first judgment, after you die, then if you're a believer at the end of the age when your life can be, can be fully evaluated and fully judged, the effect of your life of how you live for the Lord after you were saved, that will be judged at the judgment seat of Christ for unbelievers at the great white throne judgment. And so judgment is coming. Now here's what I would suggest to you. It's really good to come into a courtroom and to look up at the judge and to realize that he's your savior and he's your Lord. <laughs> that he is the one that you've given your life to and dedicated your life to. One of these days, you will see Jesus. Don't you want the judge to be your Savior? Amen. The one who gave himself to make your salvation possible. I live my life for the Lord. 
I live my life with this one great truth and reality. One day I'm going to see Jesus. And I want him to say, not depart from me, I never knew you. I want him to say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. And so there is judgment coming. In this passage, Jesus talks about the shock of judgment day. Jesus said on the day of their judgment, many people who assume that they are saved and going to heaven will be shocked to find out that they are actually lost and going to hell. Verse 21 is one of the most solemn verses in all of the Bible. Not everyone who says to me, Jesus says, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. These are people who assume they are saved, people who assume that they're going to heaven. But Jesus says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven. Those who enter into the kingdom of heaven will be those who do the will of my Father in heaven. Because this, of this solemn warning, it is vitally important that every person makes sure that their salvation is real. In fact, the Bible calls on us to make sure that our claim of being a follower of Jesus Christ is real and not false. 2 Corinthians 13, 5, examine yourselves as to whether you were in the faith. Examine yourself. Make sure that your calling is, is sure, your, your claim of salvation is sure. Now don't examine somebody else. You're not qualified to examine somebody else and to make a judgment as to whether they're a Christian or not. You're not, you're not qualified to do that, and that's not your purview. Examine yourself. Examine yourself as to whether you're in the faith. 2 Peter 1.10, Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and your election sure. Your call and your election is your salvation. Peter said, be diligent to make sure that your claim of salvation is real. Now, we're called on to do this not because a saved person, a truly saved person, can lose their salvation. It is not possible for a truly saved person to lose their salvation. If you're born again, you can't be unborn again. It's not up to you to keep your salvation. The God who saves you is the one who keeps you saved. We're called on to examine and make sure that our salvation is sure because a person can be deceived into thinking that they are saved when they are really not. Therefore, we're called on to examine ourselves to make sure that our salvation is real. Now, we're not to live every day wondering and and having all of this consternation in our mind, am I truly a Christian? The Holy Spirit of God will witness to us in our spirit, the Bible says, that we truly are children of God. We need to settle the issue. I know I'm saved. 
I don't have to worry about that and I don't have to wonder about that. And I know I'm saved, not because of who I am or what I've done or, you know, that I'm a preacher or anything like that. I know I'm saved for one reason and one reason alone. My faith and trust is in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. I know I'm not worth two cents. I'm sorry, I'm not worth half a cent before the presence of God. But I know one who is the Savior who died for me, and His name is Jesus. Amen. And my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. Jesus says on the day of judgment, many people will stand before Him assuming that they are saved when in reality that they are not. They will present their verbal profession and their religious practice as evidence of their salvation. On that day, many will say to Jesus, Lord, Lord, don't you remember how I professed to be a Christian? Don't you remember how I joined the church? Don't you remember how I was baptized? Don't you remember how I sang in the choir? Don't you remember how I taught Sunday school? Lord, don't you remember how I helped in vacation Bible school? How I helped with the children and the youth? How I gave money to the church? How I served on all those committees? Lord, don't you remember all of the wonderful works that I did in your name? But Jesus then will look to them and say to them, I never knew you. And you never knew me. Depart from me, you who work iniquity. <laughs> now that's frightening, is it not? That a person could stand before the Lord assuming that they are saved, when in reality they are not. Jesus said the ultimate proof of salvation is not verbal profession or religious practice. But the ultimate proof of salvation is a life of obedience to God. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Those are the ones who are saved. You can do all of those things. You can join a church and be baptized and you can serve on those committees and you can give money to the church and never be born again never be a Christian. Those things are the fruit of salvation for a person who's truly saved, but they're not the root of salvation, and they're not the ultimate evidence that a person is saved. A Christian should do all of those things, but in reality, a person can do all of those things and still not be a Christian. 1 John 2, verses 3 through 5. Now this we know that we know Him if we keep His commandments. How do I know that I know Him? I live a life of obedience to His commandments. That's how I know that I know Him. Luke 6, 46. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? Jesus said, why are you calling me Lord? You don't live in obedience to me. You live in rejection. You live in rebellion of me. And you're going around saying that you're my follower. You're calling me Lord, Lord. So how do we obey the will of God? What does it look like for a person to obey the will of God? Well, obeying the word of God or the will of God begins when a person repents. How do you obey God? Number one, that begins when a person repents and believes and obeys the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
You're not obeying the will of God if you don't accept Christ. And until a person accepts Christ, no matter what else they do, no matter how religious they may appear to be, or in, in fact, how religious they are, they are living in rebellion and disobedience against God. Until you accept Christ, you are not doing the will of God in your life. And here's what happens after a person's truly saved. After a person is truly saved, God gives that person a part of the work of salvation that he does in their life. God gives the one who is truly saved a desire, a heart, to obey him in all things and to live for him and to love him. Yes, there are times when Christians may fail to obey the Lord as they should. And when that happens, the Lord chastens those that he loves until they repent and get right with him. I've been there and I've done that. But when a person gives their life to Christ, God does all of this changing. He changes their spiritual DNA and he gives them a heart and a desire to love him and to obey him and to serve him. And the consistent direction of the life of the Christian will be to obey the Lord, not to be saved, not to keep their salvation, but because they have been saved. Amen. You see, for the Christian in this world, it's not perfection. We can't achieve perfection, but it is direction, the direction of our life. Let me share with you some marks of a true Christian. A true Christian will believe the truth about Jesus. A true Christian will believe, not just in their head, but in their heart, the truth about Jesus. The truth that he is the son of God. The truth that he came into this world through the miracle of the incarnation and the virgin birth as a human being. He lived a perfect life. He went to the cross, died a sacrificial death for their sins, rose again as Lord of all, ascended into heaven, one day coming back again. He is Lord and he is my savior. And I accept him as that and I surrender my life to him. A true Christian believes the truth about Jesus. A true Christian exhibits the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, the evidence of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in their life. If none, one does not have the Spirit of Christ, they are none of His. The Holy Spirit of God comes to live within us. He makes a difference in our desires and in our wants and how to live in this world. The Holy Spirit of God begins His work of sanctification. Begin, his first name is Holy. What do you think the Holy Spirit wants to do in your life? His first name is Holy. He wants to make us holy, help us to become holy like Christ. Amen. Another evidence of salvation is a growing rejection, a growing rejection of the values and the standards and the beliefs of this lost world. Ladies and gentlemen, the longer I live in this world, the more I can say with great confidence, this world is not my home. With all that is believed in this world, all of this stuff going on in this world that is so ungodly and so unchristian, I can tell you this, this world is not my home. The values, the so-called values of this world, the so-called standards, the so-called beliefs of this lost world, this world is not my home. 
This world is not my home. And when you're following Christ and Christ is in your heart, you begin to have a growing rejection of what's happening in this world. You don't secretly enjoy it. You don't secretly want to be a part of it. You want to have nothing to do with it. And I like football. Go get them dogs. I like baseball. There's things in this world that I like. But not the values of this lost world, not the standards and not the beliefs and not all of this stuff that's going on in this world. If you're repulsed by it, then that's a mark that you know the God of heaven and the Holy Spirit of God is living in you. Another mark of a true Christian is love for the Word of God. I love the Word of God. I read it on a daily basis. I study it on a daily basis. I don't have a job. I have a calling. And it's a calling that I love. And I love to share the Word of God in the whatever way that God will enable me to do that. I love the Word of God. I love the people of God. I love y'all. Warts and all, I love y'all. I got warts myself, you know? But I would rather be with the people of God. I go to these big stadiums. I go to these big events, you know, and go to all, all this stuff and I'm around all of these folks and I'm thinking, man, I'd rather be in church any day than here with God's people. Another mark of a Christian is you love the church. I love the church. I love my church. I love all churches. I was serving a church one time and a guy came and he was very concerned that the church down the road was growing and people were coming to that church and they were being saved and they were being baptized and he was very concerned about it. And I said, why? People are being saved and coming into the kingdom of God. Let's celebrate with them. Amen? Amen. Love the church. Another mark of a Christian is you have a desire to obey and to worship God and to serve God. I don't have to go to church on Sunday mornings. I get to go to church. I was glad when they said unto me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Those are just some of the marks of a Christian. Listen, these are frightening words. And the more frightening thing is they come from the lips of the judge. The one before whom all people will stand. Make your calling sure. Make your salvation sure. And then live in that surety. The Lord doesn't want us to live in uncertainty. He wants it because you can't serve the Lord if you're uncertain that you, whether you know Him or not. You know, if you can be saved today and lost tomorrow, what? how can you serve the Lord? If you get up on Monday morning and say, well, I wonder if I'm saved today or lost. No. The Lord wants you to know that your calling and salvation is sure so that you can serve the Lord with gladness and you can know. And God through the Holy Spirit will witness to your spirit that you are a child of God. And you can see what Christ has done in your life. What do you think is the greatest evil a person can commit? We could list off a lot of things, murder and all kinds of stuff. But the day of judgment will confirm this, that the greatest evil of all is to refuse to receive Jesus Christ as one Savior and Lord. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. What is the greatest 
iniquity of all, the greatest evil of all. The greatest evil of all is to reject Christ, the Son of God, as one's Savior and Lord. To look into the face of Father, of the Father, Heavenly Father, and to spit in His face and to say, No, I will not receive your gift of eternal life that you made possible through Jesus Christ and what He's done for me. That is the greatest evil of all. There's only one sin that sends a person to hell. There's only one sin that sends a person to hell. And that one sin is to reject Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord. Matthew 7, 23, I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Obedience to God begins with obedience to the gospel. The gospel of Jesus Christ is not just something to believe, it's something to obey. And how do you obey the gospel? You admit that you're a sinner. It's as simple as ABC. You admit that you're a sinner. You're a sinner. Don't get offended by that, I'm a sinner too. Trouble is, I'm a saved sinner. <laughs> you wanna be a saved sinner. You don't wanna be an unsaved sinner. Admit that you're a sinner, that you've disobeyed God, that you've rebelled against God, that you have denied Him, that you've lived in rebellion against Him. Second of all, believe. Not just in your head, but in your heart. A lot of people, many people miss heaven by 18 inches, the approximate distance between their head and their heart. They believe all the facts about Christ, but you don't believe the facts about Christ until you commit your life to Christ. If you truly believe the facts, you will commit your life. The Bible says on the Romans road that we're to believe in our heart the truth about Christ. So you believe the truth to the point where you're willing to commit. ABC, admit, believe, you're willing to commit your life to Jesus Christ and to receive him as your Lord and Savior then you're saved if you truly do that from your heart. And when the judgment day comes, you will hear from the Lord Jesus, welcome into my kingdom. And we will be welcoming, welcomed in his kingdom all because of Jesus. It's all because of Jesus. All because of Jesus. All because of him.